Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good, uh, good to be here. So grateful to uh, have an opportunity to come and uh, share with my church family. You're thinking, who is this dude right here? If you're wondering who this dude right here is, I am Rachel's husband. Okay? And there she is. There she is. I'm so, I didn't know that you were coming. But she's much more important than I am. And so I don't really have, have a name, but uh, you know, most people... They, they smile at me a lot more when she's standing beside me. So I don't know what the deal is, but uh, anyways, uh, I appreciate Pastor Clay and Andrea so much for the opportunity to come and, and to speak. It's exciting to see what God is uh, doing here, moving to two services. Is that crazy or what? I know, I know it may make you feel a little bit. You can go ahead and give God praise for that. It's good. But, but I know sometimes that may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, when I'm able to come here, I normally sit here in the back uh, of, the, of the building on, the, on this side, and, you know, it's been super packed out, and, you know, it, people will come in after the service starts, and I watch them, and you know, they'll, go, they'll start looking for a seat, and, you know, if you're home folk, then you, you don't really mind as much to kind of, you know, squeeze through an aisle and find a seat to sit down, but if you're a first-time visitor and you're looking for a place to sit, and you know you're going to have to walk all the way up the aisle, and you know, you know, cross about 15 people to get there. You know, most likely you're. And I've seen people turn around and leave. Now, imagine standing before God one day and say, "You know what? I would have seen you a whole lot more people if you'd been willing to, you know, get up and give somebody your seat." And then stand before God and say, "You know what?" I was selfish, Lord. But I know everybody here is with the plan, and everybody's excited about what's going on, and, you know, everybody is, is happy. So we're, we're so thankful to be here. I appreciate all of the volunteers, you know, the worship team. Listen, the truth is it's the lifeblood of the church, and the things that are happening here could not happen without you. So let's give our volunteers a big hand. I want to give you just a quick update. Anytime I get a chance to come in and share with you, uh, I want to always bring you a good report. And I just got back from uh, Africa a couple of weeks ago. And uh, uh, for those of you that don't know, from we started planning churches, this particular church, uh, back in 2010. And uh, since 2010, uh, through your faithful giving support, we've had other people that have joined us along the way, but uh, uh, we've been able to plant over 127 churches in unreached people group areas. And again, I emphasize unreached. And when I'm talking about unreached, I'm talking about there's no church there, there's no mosque, there's no temple. You know, we're talking about people who, who've never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, since 2010, the gospel has been taken to over 152,000 people. There's over 12,000 people that are actively involved in being discipled in those 127 churches. And while we were there, we just graduated 35 new church planners and 18 new church planners joined the program and are committed to going through the training so that they can plant churches as well. So super, super excited. One quick testimony of, from, from one of the church planners that were there. Uh, we have a church planner. His name is Ivan, and, and Ivan is brilliant. He, is, uh, he speaks seven different languages. He used to be a physician. He used to be a doctor. And uh, God called him to, to plant churches. And so he gave up his practice and he joined the, the, the church planting program that, uh, that, that we're a part of. And uh, he has 
planted a church in the most remote and deep area of, of South Sudan that anyone has been to that's you know, affiliated with us. And um, he was talking about some of the challenges that, uh, that he had to go through to get there. In this particular area, it's a war zone, literally a war zone. Millions of people have lost their lives. There's been genocide there. There's been famine there. And there's actually a war going on right now, extremely dangerous. And, uh, you know, he gave up his practice, of, you know, his comfortable lifestyle to, to go into this area and take the gospel to his people. And as he was crossing the border to go into South Sudan, uh, the military stopped him and said, well, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm here to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to my people who've never heard. And they looked at him going, uh, what's the gospel and who's Jesus, you know? So, I mean, again, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about unreached and, and uh, people that have not been reached with the gospel. And so the military ended up letting him go. And, but they said to him before he left, he said, you see this last uh, military vehicle here? He said, now, once you cross uh, this line, you're on your own. Your, your safety is not guaranteed. We can't, make, we can't guarantee that you're going to be taken care of, so you're on your own. So he, he goes past the, the, the military vehicle. He calls Henry. Henry is our, our church planning coordinator who oversees all of that stuff. And he says to Henry, he said, Henry, I'm getting ready to go into the area where I'm looking to, to start a church. He said, I will not have any cell phone signal there. He said, I will uh, plan on going there for two weeks. He said, but my safety is not guaranteed. And he said, if I don't come back, just know I died taking the gospel to my people who have never heard. And not only did he take the gospel there, he did come back after two weeks, and he led, in those two-week period of time, he led over 700 people to Christ in this area. And, I mean, it's, amen. And I say that because I want to share that with you because that's part of our history. You know, you have generously given, you've made this happen, and, and I believe what, what you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. I, I, I honestly believe that, that the connection that we have with taking the gospel globally has directly affected what the, what the Lord does in our church locally. Everything that's healthy flows into something greater than itself. And sometimes when we become an island and we become an independent church and, and we become successful and our building gets full, we, it's easy for us to become uh, comfortable and complacent and, and, and lose our heart for people that don't know Jesus. And may God never allow this church to be such a church as that. And it happens very easily because in the beginning you're desperate for God. You know, you're just praying that God shows up and he does something. But after God blows your mind and does something incredible, it's easy for us to get to the place to where we're just allowing ourselves to just kind of go through the motion. I'm thankful that that's not the kind of church that we are here. Amen? And it's directly because of the leadership that God has given us. And I'm so proud of, uh, of Clay and Andrea. They're doing an incredible job. I leave tomorrow uh, for Mexico. So keep, uh, keep me in your prayers. I'll be gone until April the 3rd. I'm going to be going to two areas. One area is called uh, Ocho Cingo, which does not need to be confused with Ocho Cinco. You know who Ocho Cinco is, right? Chad Johnson, you know, he, he, receiver for the Bengals. The Bengals, you know, you're you know, you, you Bengals fans, right? 
Some of you didn't, didn't clap. I mean, surely to goodness you're not like Cowboys fans or, God forbid, Steelers fans. I mean, that's just, you might not even be saved. You know, you can't get to heaven being a Steelers fan or a Cowboys fan. I'm sorry. But anyways, uh, this have never been in this area. Then we're going to be traveling up to the uh, southern border in, in the mountains of what's called Chamula. And these are an indigenous people to Mexico. They don't even speak Spanish. Uh, they speak their own language. It's called Cecil. Pretty sure that's not the way you pronounce it. But you won't know any different because you never heard it before either, right? So, you know, I go and I, and I don't know about you, but I learned a little bit of Spanish by watching Dora the Explorer. And, and so I'll practice it while I'm there. I said, oh, you speak English, or you speak Spanish. I said, no, poor English. Poor, loud English is what I speak. So, I mean, we need somebody to interpret my English so that English can be interpreted. And so I still can't figure out why God's called me to do this, but evidently everybody else that was qualified told him no. So, uh, anyways, I also pray, pray for my mom. Um, uh, she uh, got diagnosed with, with lung cancer. She's got, she's got a tumor in her uh, right uh, lung and she's you know she's 87 years old and up until the last few years she's been relatively good you know healthy and in good physical uh shape but uh because now the situation that she's in she's you know she's very fragile she you know there's no treatment for her so hospice is in her home and so we're trying to do our best to make sure she's comfortable we we know where she's going we're grateful it's hard to be uh uh, uh i guess uh, angry or upset when God's been so good to us for so many years. Amen. He's brought us through 100% of the worst days of our life thus far. He's got a pretty good track record of getting us through. And I'm sure he'll take care of this as well. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 139. And I want to talk to you uh, about uh, a subject called soul prints. The, the, the search for significance. And I told him in the first service that, you know, we all have universal needs that have been placed from within us by an intelligent designer. God has created certain longings in our heart that were designed to lead us back to him. They were designed to ultimately be fulfilled in your relationship with God alone. But the devil knows that we have been uh, wired this way. God has designed us this way. So he wants to do everything that he possibly can to provide a counterfeit in hopes that you will settle for a counterfeit instead of going after the real thing. See, God is a creator. Satan is the created. There is a devil, but make no mistake about it, he's God's devil. God has used the devil probably more than any other thing in world history. And he will use something that is bad and something is evil to ultimately produce something that is good. But we need to be aware that we have these longings. And when those longings are not fulfilled in God, we will ultimately be vulnerable and, and, and uh, open ourselves up to being satisfied with the counterfeit affection that ultimately leads us to a place God never intends for us to be. But God's created this. He knows what he's doing. And we're going to look at that just for a few minutes this morning. Psalms 139. We'll start reading at verse number 14. If you're there, say amen. Are you awake? Okay. Verse 14, it says, 
I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some people, they just, they're just fearfully, you know, scary, scared to look at sometimes. I mean, that's what they said about me. Is that you're, not, you're, not, you're not wonderfully made, but you are fearfully made. I'm like, well, okay, thank you. God bless you. Marvelous are your works, O God, that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, all the days of my life were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them come to pass. The NIV says it like this in verse 16. All the days of our lives were ordained for me and were written down in your book before one of them ever came to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask you, Lord, that you would open our hearts and give us grace to allow you to search us deeply, to surface things in our life that you want to address, that you want to heal, that you want to minister to. And allow us not to take this moment in time lightly, because one moment with you can change everything. And so we ask you to speak to us today through your word, and changes forever in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Soul Prince. What, what do we mean when we're talking about soul prince? Now, if you read the Bible, you'll find that the Bible is full of scriptures that uh, teach us and, and tell us just how much thought and intent that God has put into every individual that sets them apart from every other person on the planet. God, from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future, before you were born, the Scripture says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. You know, Psalms, we just read that Psalm 139, said that all the days of our lives were written down in your book before even one of them came to pass. You know, God was involved with every single detail of, of your creation. You know, before you were formed in your mother's womb, he was involved. You know, God deliberately chose every single detail of your body. He chose your race, your ethnicity. He, he, he chose what gifts, talents, and abilities that you would have. He even chose your, your personality. God has put this much thought and intent. Not only has he written down in his book the plans that he has for us. The Bible says God has saved us, called us with a holy calling. He said that we were created for good works that we should walk in them before the foundation of the world. God's plan for your life is actually older than God's plan for the earth. So think about this. Way back before the earth was even created, God was thinking about you. And he's saying, what could I do in this person's life that would set them apart and make them unique from every other person on the planet? And I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of people on this planet. There's over 8 billion people on the planet, but not one of them is just like you. You are a one-of-a-kind original. You were custom-made by God and for God. God intended for you to be original. Don't you dare allow yourself to die a copy. So God didn't just choose, you know, before you were formed in your mother's womb. He didn't just choose your personality, your gifts, your talents. The Bible says that God chose 
where you would live at. The scripture says in Acts chapter 17, 26 and 27, it says, from one man he created all men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined their set times and the places, the exact places where they should live. Now think about that. Is that not incredible? I mean, if that's true, then you can't sit here today and think that your life was an accident. You can't sit here and think that, you know what, that you don't have purpose, that your life doesn't have meaning, that, that, that you're garbage, that you're trash, that you don't have anything to, to offer God, that God doesn't have a plan for your life. If all of that is true, then you should be extremely excited. And if you are not only excited, you, you should extremely be seeking God, saying, God, what is this that you have in store for my life? If people get saved... And then they wandered the rest of their life walking around with of identity, no sense of direction, no sense of destiny. For some reason in the United States, we come to church, we get saved, we get excited about God, we, we, we are on fire for a, a period of time, and then we just become settled with going through a religious ritual on a week-by-week week basis, and we stop pursuing God and the purpose and the plan that He has for our life. Now, why do we do that? I believe it has a lot to do with not understanding who God created us to be. Now, let me give you a couple of things here before I, I share what I really want to share. And what I want to share, first of all, is the uniqueness of the soul. Now, when we're talking about soul prints... We're talking about what God placed on the inside of you that is unique and different from everybody else. Now, I hope this blows your mind. If this doesn't blow your mind, it's simply because you've stopped being fascinated with who God is. Because God blows my mind every single day. Now, I may have a small brain, but He blows my mind. Listen, it still blows my mind that God is knowable. It still blows my mind that God actually loved me enough to save me. It still blows my mind that I'm actually saved. It blows my mind I'm standing here preaching to you today. I was raised on 313 Town Branch Road, Manchester, Kentucky. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic for 10 years. I've been in jail. I've been hit with glass bottles in my head. I buried my friends, but... That's not who I am now. I'm not everything I'm going to be, but I'm definitely not what I'm used to be. And I'm telling you, I'm excited about serving God. Can you tell? Are you excited about serving God? If you are, you should let your face know it. Anyways, it's not a sin to smile or laugh, right? It's all good in the hood. But you are unique. And what makes you unique is also what makes you powerful. Discovering your uniqueness is the key to unlocking the purpose and the destiny that God has for your life. The problem is, life's not easy. 
and we go through struggles and difficulties and heartaches. And instead of allowing God to define us for who we are and tell us whose we are and what He's called us to do, we've allowed a moment in time or we've allowed a failed relationship or we've allowed uh, a, a trauma that we've been through somewhere along the way to capture us and hold us hostage. And many of us have not grown in our relationship with God or done anything spiritually significant with our life since that moment. And God wants to change that. Now, two things that we need to understand, first of all, before we build upon what we're going to talk about. Number one is the uniqueness of the soul. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but God has put a lot of thought and intent when he created you. There's over 8 billion people on the planet. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Listen, if this don't blow your mind, I ain't got nothing better. You know, it's, it's, it's ought to blow your mind. There's 8 billion people on the planet, right? And of those 8 billion people, nobody on the planet has the same fingerprint as you do. Not impressed? I've got more. Not only that, out of 8 billion people on the planet... Nobody has the same voice print as you do. Nobody, in other words, nobody has the same voice as you. Let me prove it. You know, anybody that has children and allows their children to go to children's church or, you know, to school or, or you know, allow them to play with other children, you know, their child can be in a room full of 50 screaming, crying children. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, I mean... You've heard children cry, right? But a mother can identify her child's cry over the other 49 children that are crying in the same way simply because they can identify the voice of their baby. The same is true for you and I when it comes to God. Listen, when we begin to cry out from God, for God, God hears a unique sound that only you can make. That's why it's important for us to worship God. That's why it's important for you to open up your mouth, sing praises to God, open up your mouth, and verbally say words to God, telling Him how much you love Him, how good He is, how thankful you are, how grateful you are. Why? Because He wants to hear the voice of His child. Nobody can praise God for you like you. Not only do you have a unique voice print, you know, when, when you go through airport terminals and, you know, you go through security, you know, they, as you go through that, they'll take your passport, they'll scan your passport, then they'll ask you to stand in front of this machine. This machine will then come up and then they will scan the iris of your eyes. What are they doing? They're making sure that the person that they see on this passport is the same person that they're looking at through this machine. Why? Because nobody has eyes like you do. Is this not blowing your mind yet? You still not, I, I don't know that I can say anything better than this. But, you know, we also have a unique soul print. And what I mean by that, science would define that as DNA. And not even identical twins have the same DNA. So what I'm telling you is that you are genuinely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. You are a one-of-a-kind original. You are custom-made by God, for God, and He's created you for good works, and He has a plan for your life. But the average church person is pretty bored with God. You know what? All sin is the result of our dissatisfaction with God. And any time that we allow ourselves to settle for something less than God's best for our life, 
it'll ultimately lead us into to sin. But that's the uniqueness of the soul. Here's the second thing. The second thing is the development of the soul. Now, this is important because we all go through this process. There's basically three stages that we go through when we develop our soul. And not just develop our soul, it, we also develop our self-image. Now, we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes, but let me just you know, reference this for a moment. When I'm talking about having a healthy, positive self-image, I'm not talking about some self-help you know, message. I'm talking about having a right view of God, right view of ourself, and a right view of others. I'm talking about embracing your uniqueness. I'm not talking about your, uh, your carnality or your sinfulness or your sinful nature. I'm talking about embracing who God says that you are, who God says that you are, and embracing this identity and having this sense of destiny because according to Scripture, every day of our life is written down in His book before even one of them come to pass. So there's something special and significant about that that we need to discover. Now, we go through three stages. You can go ahead and go to the next slide. The first stage is what's called the, the childhood stage. Now, scientists say, or science says, that 50%, listen, this is crazy, 50% of everything that we learn, we learn by the age of five. 50%. And the reason this is true is because if you've ever been around children, you realize that it's not enough for a child to understand what something is. They've got to see it. They've got to smell it. They've got to taste it. They've got to experience it. So they see a sheet of paper, and they wonder, well, I, I wonder if this paper tastes good. So they put it in their mouth. They look at this dirt. You know, I, I, my, my boys always love dirt. They love mud puddles just they could find one in the desert and, and get in it but you know a child it's not enough for them to get dirty they have to there must be something good in this dirt so let's go ahead and just put a little bit in their mouth right what are they doing they're experiencing it and what happens when we first get born again we have this encounter and this experience with God and we're radically transformed by it and so we learn God not just from Bible teaching and scripture we have a personal experience the problem is we start going through the motions and, and, and participating in religious rituals and we stop experiencing God because we stop pursuing God with me on that? And, you know, that, that's true in the natural. It's also true in, in the spiritual. Here's the second stage that we go through. The second stage is the youth stage. Now, this is a very important stage because this is the stage where we discover the mirror. Listen, I know some guys that have never walked past a mirror they didn't like to look at. They walk by a mirror and they're like, Force quilling comes to mind. But, I mean, I'm just saying, it's in the mirror that, that, that we begin to look at ourselves, and it's a very dangerous place if we stay camped out there. And what I mean by that is that at this particular stage, we become more conscious of our looks, of our appearance. We, we think about makeup. We think about, you know, styling our hair, or maybe not. We, we, we think about... You know, earrings, we, we, we think about what other people, how other people see us. Now, the problem is the longer we spend time looking at ourselves in the mirror, the more that we begin to discover things about ourselves that we don't like. 
We, we see things, we don't, our nose is too big. Our ears stick out. Our teeth are crooked. We, we begin to focus on things and we start hating ourselves for everything that we're not instead of loving ourselves for everything that we are. We forget that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We forget that we were created a one-of-a-kind original. We forget that God has put a lot of thought and intent into creating us and we only focus on what's wrong and never on what's right. And the problem is, if we stay focused on this long enough, we will embrace this as our identity. And so once we embrace that as our identity, we become stuck in this cycle and that cycle is just repeated over and over and over again. That's what happens. Now, here's the third stage, and that is the adult stage. Now, once we reach the adult stage, we will attempt to live out whatever image that we've allowed to define ourselves. You understand what I'm saying? Right or wrong, truth or lies. And so many people walk around that are children of God, that have no... They don't know who they are in God. They don't know who God is in them. You know, they're, they're struggling just to make it through. They, they, they have an orphan heart. They have no sense of, of direction or, or no sense of destiny for, them, for their lives. And it's because somewhere along the way that they've been lied to. And they believe this lie. And they've allowed this lie to define them. They've allowed whatever they've been through to define them. Sometimes people go through trauma. Some people are betrayed. Sometimes people are abused. Sometimes people are abandoned. Sometimes people are rejected. And that wound becomes so deep, they allow that to define who they are all the way down to their identity. They won't allow anybody to get close to them. They won't allow anybody to get near them. They'll only allow you to get so close, and then they will keep you at a distance. That's not the way God intends for you to live your life. So for better or for worse, for good or for bad, for positive, for negative, for good or evil, we will attempt to allow that image to define who we are. The question is this, what defines you? If I were to ask you, what defines you? Could you explain that to me? Or if I were to ask you, what is your identity? See, that's a universal question that we all have to answer. And if that answer is missing in our life, we will spend the rest of our life trying to discover we, who we are by following somebody that doesn't know who they are. Some people, their life is just like a train wreck looking for a place to happen. So the question is, what defines you? Do you have a, a, a positive, healthy self-image? Or have you allowed something that you've been through in the past? Have you allowed a, a friend or a classmate at school to say something to you that, that caused you to be wounded in your soul? Because the part of our lives, the part of our soul that we withhold from God is the part of us that we will seek to satisfy ourselves with something else other than God. And some of us have allowed sinful things try to satisfy us when reality is we've been created to find our satisfaction in God. Amen? Now, let me give you three things really quick concerning a healthy self-image. Number one, our self-image determines the way we view God. Now, some of you might think, you know what, this is not really a big deal. I'm telling you, it's a really big deal. As a matter of fact, the way you view God will affect 
every single area of your entire life. It's critical that you have a right view of God. Nothing is more detrimental to the human soul than having a wrong view of God. And the reason that's true is the way you view God will also determine how you represent God. In other words, if you view God as a judge, you will become his prosecuting attorney. Some people call that good preaching. You ever met anybody that's super harsh? Super mean? Listen, I don't know about you, but I found sheep bite. Some people wake up with just a mouthful of teeth and I, 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 ready to bite somebody's head off. And they say, well, I'm just this way. No, you're rude and you're mean and you're hateful and, and you need to change. Well, I'm going to some other church. Well, some people bless you coming and some people bless you going. I didn't mean to say that. Re rebuke me, Pastor. I'm getting out of hand. But why, it's important that we have a right view of God. Because it affects every single area of our life. Listen to this. Our self-image determines how we think, how we speak, how we feel, how we process our past, and how we anticipate the future. If you don't have a healthy self-image, here's what's going to happen. You're going to find it very difficult to believe and experience God's love for you. Now, you can know it theologically. You can know what the Bible says. Look, you can quote the Scripture verbatim. King James Version. Just You have all the intellectual knowledge that you want. But it's possible to know the book of the Lord and not know the Lord of the book. The Pharisees knew the book of the Lord better than anybody else, but they had no supernatural moving of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And they become the greatest enemies of God. And... The more we fail to engage our hearts in loving God and pursuing God, the more religious we become and the more like a Pharisee that we become. How many knows we don't need any more Pharisees, right? The Pharisees love the Scriptures more than anybody else, but they become the greatest enemies of grace and truth. We don't want to be that dude, right? So our view of God is, is what determines that. So most people, they'll struggle to be able to receive love from God. The problem with that is that we can't even reciprocate love back to God if we can't first receive love from God. Now you're thinking, you know what, I, I believe God loves me. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily have all these you know, goosebumps and all these warm, fuzzy feelings. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit supernaturally moving in your heart so that you can receive love. Paul said, I pray that you may know the height, the depth, the width, the length, and the breadth of the love of God, which passes your understanding. In other words, the love of God is so great, it should be blowing your mind forever and forever and forever. God's love is bigger than your intellectual acknowledgement of His love. So God wants to supernaturally move in our hearts Allowing us to receive love so that we can reciprocate love back. And if we can't receive love from God, we cannot express love back to God. And if we can't receive love from God, then we cannot show the love of God to others. Why? Because the first two commandments Jesus talked about involved love in the heart. He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, if you love God most, you'll love people better. If we're not loving God most and then loving people out of the overflow of our love for God, we're not going to love people well. I mean, think about it. What does it take to really get you mad with your husband or wife? Just wake up in the morning? I mean, listen, how easy, you can always tell, you know, I'll say this and run. Uh, You you can always tell how big a person is by the things that it takes to make them mad. You know, the Bible says love is not easily angered. It doesn't say it doesn't get angry. It says it's not easy. If you're easily angered over anything, it's simply because that you lack love in your heart. Love and not being easily angered go hand in hand. So it's difficult for people who can't receive love, to believe that God actually loves them, much less actually enjoys them. I love to deer hunt, and I believe God loves that I love to deer hunt. I paused for an amen, but I think I heard one week one back there. Why? Because God put these things in our hearts so that we could enjoy them. I'm not saying that we make an idol out of them, but there's things that you enjoy that God wants you to enjoy because he created them for your enjoyment. The problem is the more of the world that we want, the less we're able to enjoy it. But the less of the world we have to have, the more we're able to enjoy it. Because you know what? When you find all of your joy and fulfillment in God, what the world's had to offer really is nothing. Amen? All right. Here's the problem. If we're not able, if we don't have a proper view of God, then we won't be able to receive love from God. And what we really want alive on the inside of us is we want the emotions, and emotions are not sinful. They can become sinful. Emotions are good servants but terrible masters. Are you with me? God created us with emotions. God is the most emotional dude in the Bible. Jesus was fully God, fully man, and he experienced and expressed All human emotions. He was moved with compassion. He was grieved. He became angry. He groaned in his spirit. You know, listen, God gave us emotions because we're created in the image and the likeness of God. The problem is this. When they're not energized by the love of God, we become very vulnerable to the temptations of the devil. Are you with me on that? If, 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 If we are not fully alive with the feeling of God loving us, and then us expressing that love back to God, we are extremely vulnerable to the temptations of the devil. But when we're fully alive with the ability to receive love from God and express love back to God, there's no temptation in the world that can satisfy you because Jesus is everything in our lives. So the question is, is Jesus everything in your life? See, there's a lot of people that know Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See, there's a lot of people that know Jesus as the way, the way to heaven. They get saved, and they get their ticket to heaven. That's the only thing they're interested in. They just don't want to go to hell, looking for a little fire insurance, right? And then there's a few more that come to know Jesus as the way. In other words, they read the Bible. They know what the Bible says. They have Bible knowledge. 
But there's even less people that come to know Jesus as their life. Paul said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, knowing him in his fullness. God wants us to experience him on that kind of personal level. But when we are not fully alive with the love of God moving on our emotions and in our heart, we will settle for something less than what God has for us. Now, here's the problem. Having a positive self-image is directly related to how we view the past both negatively and positively. Now, look at this next slide here. Our natural response is that we tend to remember things that we should forget, and we forget things that we should remember. And the devil works overtime to make sure that we do just that. He always wants to remind you of your mistakes. He always wants to remind you of your failures. He always wants to bring up, he's always accusing, he's always attacking, he's always speaking lies, he's, he's always coming against us, he's, he's always trying to use your past mistakes and failures to keep you where you are because if the devil can't steal your salvation, he will try to steal the joy of your salvation. And if there's anything we need in the church in America today, Day, it is the joy of the Lord. <clears throat> is this all right? I need to open this up and drink. Here's the second thing our self image determines the way that we view ourselves. You know, the scripture says that we were created in the image and the likeness of God. You know, the word image means outward appearance, likeness means inward nature. In other words, we, we were created, when God created Adam, the scripture says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life and man become a living soul. Now, when God breathed into Adam's nostril the breath of life, it wasn't just air, he didn't just go, Phew. what God did was he imparted by his spirit the very nature of God himself in Adam. Why? So that he could be a reflection of who God is on the earth. That's what happens when we're, we're saved. God wants us. And listen, he, the most important thing in your life is not to go to heaven. As a matter of fact, it's not God's will for you to go to heaven. Don't run yet. God's will for your life is not for you to go to heaven. God's will for your life is to become like the one who's going to take you there. God's best for your life is not for you to get saved and get your ticket to heaven punched so that when death comes, you, know, you can make your arrival? No, no. God's best for your life is for you to become like the one who's going to take you there. And so we're continually becoming more and more like God, or we're becoming, or continually becoming less and less like God. But our self-image determines how we view ourselves. Now, when we don't have a sense of identity or positive self-image... Our natural response is to typically pretend to become somebody that we're not. Anybody know any fake people? Don't raise your hand. How many know that there's a lot of fake people in the church today? How do we know that's true? Because when you invite somebody to don't go to church... The number one thing they say is, I'm not going down there to that church. There's a bunch of hypocrites down there. 
But there's hypocrites at McDonald's, and I'm swinging by to get a Big Mac anyways. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, and the truth is, there is a lot of fake. Jesus talked about wheat and tares. He said, you know, at the end of the age, you've got to let the wheat and the tares grow together. Don't separate them, lest you pull some of the good out with the bad. He said, at the end times, he said, at the end of the age, the angels will come and do the separation. So what does that tell us? That the church is made for hypocrites, and it's made for those that are sold out. I mean, how many of you would have the attitude of going to the gym? And listen, there's some people that go to the gym... And they're hardcore, right? They're giving it everything they got. You know, they're, they're, they're just, just poor. And then some people just go in there to be social. Right? And you can tell if a guy like me shows up, this guy right here is not working out. <laughs> you know, I went to the doctor the other day, and I couldn't remember if he said that I was obese or obese. <laughs> I thought, you know what? And then I went to another doctor. I found out that you know, he was saying obese. I said, you went, to this, you went to school this long to tell me something I already know? What did I come to you for? You know? I said, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. But, but you, know, you know, you never hear somebody that goes to the gym and says, I'm never going back to the gym because there's a hypocrite over there. Maybe the gym was made for the hypocrite. Maybe the church was made for the hypocrite. Maybe it was made for the person who's hardcore and serious. Maybe it was made for the people who are fake and phony and hypocrite. Who are we to decide? That's good right there, wasn't it? But when we have a, a distorted view or a wrong view of ourselves, We'll look at people and become the most judgmental people on the planet. And the truth is, if we were judged by others on our worst day, none of us would be able to hang our head up and be proud of who we are. So, here's my point. You'll always be a bad version of somebody else. God created you in original. Don't die a copy. Know that he's got something uniquely special for you to do and become. Here's, the, here's the, the next thing. There's four universal needs. I'm going to wrap it up. When I say universal, I'm saying over 8 billion people on the planet have to have these needs met. And if those needs go unmet, the consequences of that destroy relationships. For example, every person has a longing to feel like they belong. Whether it's in a church, a club, a gang, or a group of friends. Everybody wants to feel like that they belong. And the Bible teaches us that if you are a believer, you are a belonger. Did you know that? And there's no such thing as a Christian that's not in relationship with Christians. You hear people say, you know what, I, you know, I don't need the church. Anybody that says that's either ignorant or arrogant. I mean, imagine, you know, if, if the Bible's true, and I'm saying it is, imagine, you know, the Bible said that, that Jesus viewed the church as his bride. People that say that they love Jesus, but they don't like the church, you're saying to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. 
That's pretty harsh, ain't it? Now, we would never say that, but our attitudes will. But believing is belonging. The next thing is, is a universal need to, to feel like that we have a sense of worth. In other words, if we do not have a sense of worth and value, and if that's missing in their life, a person will feel inferior. In other words, they will feel like that they're less than and that everybody else is greater than. It's like God can do this for somebody else, but God can never do it for somebody like me. See, somewhere in what I'm sharing, I, I believe you're going to find yourself. Because we all need these, these needs met. See, everybody has a longing to feel competent. But what does that mean? Competence means the ability to do something successfully or efficiently. And if you don't have that need met in God, then you'll feel inadequate. And so many people don't do God's will and pursue God's plan for their life simply because they don't feel like they have anything to offer God. I'm from southeastern Kentucky, you know. I don't have the kind of education. You know, I, I'm, I come from a poor family. I wasn't raised in church. I don't know the Bible like they do. I don't even know God that well. I mean, God couldn't... See, listen, God doesn't forgive excuses. God forgives sin. See, Moses gave his list of excuses, and I did too. thing is that God doesn't care about our excuses or our objections. Our opinion doesn't matter to him. But the problem is when, when we feel like that everybody else qualifies, but I don't, we'll be like the person who got the one talent, took it, and buried it. Because we're not going to be judged before God based upon what somebody else did. We're going to be judged by God based upon what we did with what God gave us. God gave all of us something to do. And God's called all of us to make a difference in our world. The last one is this, having a sense of purpose. When we don't have a sense of purpose, we will ultimately feel like we're insignificant. So many people, they just become settled in going to church because they feel like that what they do or what they don't do doesn't matter. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you believe what I said at the beginning of this message about the thought and an intent that God put into you before he created you, there's no way that you can look at yourself or look at somebody else and say that is an insignificant person. There's no such thing. Stand with me. Third thing's this. Our self-image will determine the way that we view others. And the problem is when we have a wrong self-image, most of the time that's the result of either a hurt, a trauma, or a disappointment that was so bad that we didn't know how to handle it, or we handled it the wrong way. And the reason that's true is because hurting people hurt people, and they are easily hurt by people. We have a lot of insecure people in our churches, and instead of knowing how to celebrate with people when something good goes, we look at them and they say, you know what, they're just bragging. Sure, things are going good for them now. They're just full of themselves. 
But the problem is when we don't have a right view of others, instead of seeing people as a blessing, we'll see them as a threat. You know, if Clay wasn't so daggone good looking, I wouldn't be so ugly. People do that. It's called projection. Probably nobody in this church, right? You guys are all above that. You know, if you weren't so rich, then I wouldn't feel so poor. If you weren't so smart, I wouldn't feel so dumb. You know what? Chopping somebody's legs off from underneath them doesn't make you stand one inch higher. Some people can find a problem with every solution and believe it's a gift from God. If you're one of those guys, I love you, but you can stay there. Stay over there. When you have a poor self-image, a distorted view of God, a distorted view of yourself, it's very hard to see the blessing that God brings into your life through the lives of other people. Listen, if you're part of this church, you're blessed. This is a special group of people. It's unlike any other group of people in the world. Why? Because you're here. We need to learn how to recognize it. And not just recognize it, celebrate it. We all fight the devil and we all have a load we're carrying. Imagine if we helped each other along the way. Michelangelo, this is, I promise you I'm closing. Michelangelo created what most people call the greatest artistic sculpture in the history of the world. And it was a, a, a marble sculpture of David being held captive in the stone. So he began this huge task of creating the sculpture of David. And this, this sculpture is 14 feet high. Millions of people go visit it every single year. It is called the greatest artistic sculpture in the world. It took Michelangelo four years to finish the sculpture. And when somebody asked him one day, how did you do it? He said, it was easy. He said, I just removed everything from the rock that wouldn't David. Do you realize that's exactly what God is doing for you? And I, he's just taking the chisel of the Holy Spirit and he's just breaking away everything in our life that is unlike the person that he has called us to be. Now, it may take some people longer than others, but the Bible says he that began a good work will finish it until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works before the world began. One translation says, you are God's masterpiece. When every artwork first came from the mind of the artist. And that's what we read in Psalms 139. Amen? Some of you... You have a distorted view of God and it's destroying relationships. Some of you, you've allowed something you've been through or something that's happened to you or, or, or something that uh, you saw or experienced to define who you are. 
You know, it's like you take two steps forward and you take three steps back. It's like you find yourself stuck in spinning your wheels. And, and, and you, maybe you're, you feel like giving up. Let me just encourage you. As long as you've not given up, the fact that you're still fighting is proof that you've not yet been defeated. See, it's your struggles that God uses to make you strong. Sometimes those struggles are just God chiseling away the things in your life that are unlike Him. But that's not necessarily enjoyable, but it is necessary. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank You that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, your love pursued us. And Lord, under the sound of my voice are, are people that have allowed other things than who you are and what your word says to define them. And they've allowed disappointment and heartache, betrayal, rejection, abandonment, abuse, whatever it may be. They've allowed that to get a grip in their heart and their life, and they're stuck. But Lord, by the Holy Spirit, you're coming to chisel that part of their heart, that bitterness, that anger, that resentment. You're, you're going to chisel it away today if, if they'll allow you to do it. If you're here this morning, and you feel the, the Holy Spirit saying, will you allow me to chisel away this part of your life, whether it's anger, resentment, rejection, bitterness, depression, discouragement, whatever that may be. They're going to sing, and they're going to play. I'm going to invite you to come. And let's just say, God, I'm tired of allowing this to define me. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And today, I'm the clay, and you're the potter. Mold and shape me. As they sing and as they play, I'm going to invite you to come. Let's allow God to do a work in our heart.